0: Welcome to Medicare for All Explained. This podcast will enlighten our listeners and dispel the distortions that surround Medicare for All. Medicare for All Explained is produced in collaboration with Physicians for a National Health Program and is hosted and produced by Joe Sparks. I'm your host, Joe Sparks. This is Episode 37, a living wage home cleaning company and COVID-19. My guest, Aaron Sayedian, is originally from a small town in western New York and has lived in the Washington, D.C. area for nearly 15 years. He created Well-Paid Maids to help bolster the living wage movement by demonstrating that living wage businesses can be successful in traditionally low-paying industries. Prior to founding Well-Paid Maids, Aaron worked in management consulting and international development. Aaron Sayedian, welcome to Medicare for All Explained.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: I'd like to start by asking you to tell in your own words what the ideas behind Well-Paid Maids are. And one of the things that you do is provide good benefits. And then I'd like you to explain why you decided to provide good benefits for your employees.
1: Sure thing. Yeah, so Well Paid Maids is a living wage home cleaning company. We operate in the D.C. area. Uh, We have 15 employees. And um, the whole idea behind the company is to take uh, home cleaning, which is usually um, a pretty bad job with low wages and, and bad benefits. And try to turn it um, into a much a much better job, and, and in doing that, demonstrate that you know even in these sectors of the economy that um, are known for exploitative practices, um, known for low pay, that you can put together a high road living wage business model and, and still be a success. And so, um, you know, that's that's what we're all about. And uh, I founded the company. Uh, just uh, around two and a half years ago, almost three years ago. And um, basically what it was, was I saw this burgeoning living wage movement out there, and I I was thinking about how can I contribute to it. And I thought it'd be really useful. There could be a a business that's basically saying, look, we're kind of like a a living case study for the living wage movement, for the high road employer movement. Um, So anytime that, you know, in, in a city council meeting or a committee hearing on the Hill, there's some lobbyists or business groups saying, oh, you can't, you can't raise the minimum wage. It's going to destroy our business. Uh, wouldn't it be great to be able to point to another example that says, no, you know, don't, don't believe the chicken little. The sky's not going to fall if we do this. It's actually quite viable. And so that's what, that's what we've done. And, and you know that's what I've had the privilege to be able to do over the past few years is not only run the business, but engage in um, a lot of activism. And, um, of course, Medicare for all is, is, is a part of that. Um, to your question about uh, about benefits, you know, I, I set out to, number one, make a, a living wage company, um, but very quickly decided that um, uh, a good benefits package, I usually call it a white collar style benefits package because it's mirrored on what I was getting when I worked in management consulting, which was my last job before this. Um, because benefits are such a uh, an important part of, of compensation, of course. Um, You know, a job with good benefits is is, uh, as beneficial or or, or potentially even better for a worker as a job that that pays a living wage. So, right out of the gate, I decided that we need to offer best in class benefits, including good health care.
0: And before COVID struck, how was business going?
1: Things were going really well. So, started in the summer of 2017. That's kind of a partial year. We're just starting out. Uh, It's not really. Um, a great place to start in terms of the numbers. But then if you go into the next year, 2018, we did around $300,000 in revenue. Um, And then the following year, uh, $600,000 in revenue. So we were growing at a really steady clip. Uh, We had a really enthusiastic base of customers who uh, proved to be very loyal to the firm. And actually just a few months before the pandemic started, I had hired a second manager who was tasked solely with growth and recruiting. So in 2020, um, before all this started, I really had my eyes on uh, growing the company to a much bigger size because, you know, in the prior years, the the appeal of the business model to customers, as well as uh, employees, I think, had really been proven. And so this year was supposed to all be about growth, but obviously that's that's not happening now.
0: We'll get to more on the effects of COVID, but what I'd also like to know, is how challenging was it to provide health benefits before covid struck
1: Yeah um so it's 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 very challenging I mean it's um you know DMVs have gotten a lot better across the country in my experience but dealing with healthcare is like the bad DMV of the bad old days um you know I you know I consider myself a pretty savvy person in terms of figuring out systems and 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 you know different uh bureaucratic processes, you know, filling out a form correctly, things like that. Um, and even just at that level, um, it's, it's incredibly daunting. Um, there's enormous complexity around it, especially because making, making the wrong choice or the wrong decision can, number one, it locks you into something for a very long time, usually a, a year. Um, and of course, it, it has ripple effects for everyone that you employ. So um, there's enormous complexity to do it. Um, it's a big responsibility to shoulder Um, especially if you don't have a background in sussing out, you know, different benefits packages and things like that. And of course, you know, health insurance plans are structured specifically so that it's difficult for you to, to compare in a, in a meaningful way. Um, And, uh, and, and then, you know, thinking of the industry that we're in and the fact that, um, look, I'm trying to provide the best cleaning job we possibly can. um, But at the end of the day, these are still relatively low wage positions. Um, I was struggling with, how do we provide good insurance that's still usable? And so that means things like thinking through not only the, the premiums and what share needs to be um you know needs to fall on the employer's shoulders for employees to actually be able to afford this, um, but for the deductible to be low enough and the co-pays to be low enough that, that folks are actually going to use this insurance once they once they get it. And so I'm um, thinking through that, that's that's what led me to um offer a zero deductible plan because at the end of the day I felt like if, if folks making you know seventeen, eighteen, nineteen dollars an hour um have a plan with a one thousand, two thousand dollar deductible, it's not not really usable insurance. And so there are there are kind of higher order things like that, that you have to think through. Um the, the so called cliff effect is very real. You know, if you have folks that you're hiring as a small business owner who are coming from Medicaid and, and maybe that's what they've known you know, their whole lives. Um, it's a whole process of education to explain the different parameters of, of private insurance, how it works, what all these arcane terms mean. And then also, um, hard to justify to them, honestly, how, okay, you're going to move from Medicaid to this private insurance that the company offers, which is good insurance and, and is zero deductible insurance, but you're still going to have to pay these monthly premiums. You're still going to have to pay co-pays at the point of care. And you may actually not come out ahead uh, losing your, you know, your essentially free insurance from Medicaid and, uh, you know, moving on to this quote unquote better insurance. But at the end of the day, you're, you're spending more out of pocket. So all that's very difficult to do. Larger businesses, you know, I think they get around it by, you know they're having a dedicated HR department and things like that. but it's very difficult as a small business um, to to navigate all of that complexity and education that needs to go on. And then, you know the final piece is, is I think the cost, which is, is is very challenging. You know this is this is an incredibly costly thing to provide to employees. Um there's no certainty um, in terms of cost because uh, every year the rates are are going up. And um, of course, you know even with really good insurance, which, I do believe, you know, we're providing, um, you don't feel like you're getting anything for your money. <laughs> you don't feel like uh, your employees are getting uh, uh, something uh, as good as what it costs for, for, for their money as well, for what they're kicking in. Um, and so all in all, it's just a very frustrating experience um, as a small business owner to provide, you know, employee-sponsored health care. And um, I don't think that's the main reason we need Medicare for all in this country, but I certainly have to imagine that it stifles um, entrepreneurship. It stifles uh, innovation, and um, you know, it's this employee-sponsored or employer-sponsored system. is just a waste of everybody's time, in, in my in my view.
0: Yes, I have talked to people who help entrepreneurs, and I can tell you, always one of the biggest concerns is health insurance. One thing I'd like to ask: What is the lowest wage that you pay your employees?
1: 17, $17 an hour is what we start folks at. And, um, we base that on, uh, there's something that a, a professor at MIT puts out. It's called the MIT Living Wage Calculator. And it basically computes for every metro area in the country, um, what the living wage is for that, you know, that city and its surroundings. And so we use that to set, set our wage. And, um, it's, it's $17 an hour currently in the DC area, but year to year it gets, it gets updated.
0: Right. But I wanted people to understand that not only do you provide good benefits, you provide a good wage, especially for this type of work.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: that's right. So, you know, you mentioned some of the challenges just that businesses have dealing with healthcare, but I'd also like to move on. So just first, how has COVID-19 affected your business?
1: Yeah. It's uh it's uh, it's like a meteor strike. It's uh <laughs> we're uh, we're we're functionally not operating uh right now. You know, I keep tabs on things of course as, as the owner. Um but since the middle of March, um I shut the business down voluntarily. Uh you know, cleaning was designated actually as an essential service in our area, but I mean, I don't really agree with that. That's another story. Um but in any case, out of concern for employee safety, customer safety and when things were you know, really spiking um, back then uh, for the kind of viability of our our local hospital system. I didn't see there to be any way to justify remaining open. Um, To give you some perspective on that, you know, the average cleaner is going into 40 or 50 different homes a month. Uh, Very often people and their kids are home, and especially with white-collar workers uh, having started uh, telework during that same time and and schools also closing, it, it would have increased the incidence of folks being home during a cleaning. And so I didn't really see any safe way for us to operate. And truth be told, I, I still don't. Um so I'm making I'm making contingency plans for how do we operate in a, you know, new normal based on COVID nineteen and that's primarily because um although I, I really have no desire to reopen the business, um I did a, a basically a survey of my staff and while they're in a very similar position in that, you know, they don't want to go back to work and and risk their lives for this job. Uh, At the same time, policy is forcing all of us to one way or another, get back to work. Um, You know, my my employees are very concerned about the top off of, you know, for unemployment running out and what that's going to do to their ability to take care of their finances. Um, You know, we set up a GoFundMe when this all happened. Our customers have been very kind to us. We've raised $25,000 through that. And that's really Helped our employees, but ultimately, you know, once unemployment becomes uh, less generous, um, I I need to figure out some way to to uh, to make this job as safe as possible for my employees again. And so, you know, we will be, I think, opening sometime in the next few months. There's no there's no hard date, but um, right now we
0: we are closed. And I think a lot of businesses and employees have the same problem now. What has happen in terms of providing benefits, especially health benefits to your employees at this time?
1: yeah, so that's of course um yet another illustration of why uh why we need Medicare for all because um as you know, I won't be the first one to say this if you're if your health care is tied to your employment, obviously when you lose your job you you don't have uh you don't have a great a great solution, and so I'm trying to do what I can for my folks. So the first month uh, in March um, I, I paid for the premiums out of pocket um, so that our health insurance could continue. You know, I didn't want to throw people off of their insurance during a pandemic. And then in April and May, I I, I considered a, a great thing that the PPP program did include costs for for health insurance. And so through the PPP program for those two months, um, their health insurance premiums were were covered. Unfortunately, you know, the PPP program didn't have a long timeline, and so um, we're back to this month uh, me paying for their their premiums out of pocket. Um, it's not something I can do forever. Obviously, it's it's not sustainable. Um, but what I I've, I've put in, in place for next month, and and probably maybe even a month after that is that uh, DC HealthLink, which is our local, you know, Obamacare exchange. Is letting businesses essentially defer premium payments for a year, and so it's not a real solution. It's still another form of treading water. But um, you know, I, I can't afford personally to keep keep carrying the cost of this on my own without any revenue. Um, and so it's just a can. I'm kicking down the road right now, and you know, come next July, you're going to have a pretty big bill to.
0: Well, I understand it's a can a can you're kicking down the road, but you know other than cutting benefits what other solution is there
1: right right and of course you know some people might say well you know you can throw people off their insurance and they they can get on to medicaid uh, that might be true for some of my employees for others it, it might not be true and and honestly based on our experience of unemployment during this crisis um i think that it's it's very clear that the process of getting on medicaid will not be easy um because i know the process of getting on unemployment has been uh, you know, very hellish for, for a lot of my staff members. Um, some of them during the initial, uh, kind of big layoff wave when everyone was applying for unemployment, um, they weren't even able to get on unemployment by the time that we were getting back onto payroll finance through PPP, um, which if it was around five or six weeks, they'd still not successfully gotten through to the unemployment office. So, um, you know, not everyone would have been covered or will be covered by, by Medicaid. I think there's, uh, real concerns about how easy it would be to get on to something like that. So yeah, there's, there's no, I mean, there's no option there. There's no option. Society is not providing an option. Um, You know, luckily there are some forward thinking members of Congress that have put forth some bills um, that would make it easier to get on to some form of public insurance. But um, you know, as it stands right now, it's it's either, you know, reopen and risk everybody's health or uh, stay closed and throw people off their, their health insurance. So it's a, it's a lose, lose situation.
0: Based on your experience, well, let me just say, yeah, it is a lose-lose situation, and I sure wish I had um, a good answer, but now I'm going to kind of ask you that question. Based on your experience, what changes would you like to see, you know, in our healthcare system to deal with COVID-19 now? And you touched on that a bit, Medicare for All, and then in the long term.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, look, long-term, ultimately, my goal is, is Medicare for all in this country. I do think that we can hopefully uh win it. But uh, in the short term, to deal with COVID-19, I mean, my biggest concern is that we would waste this crisis by shoring up what I think is a, a failed, corrupt system. And so um I'm really hopeful that we can put in place some solutions that Kind of turn away from private insurance and get more and more people on different forms of public insurance. I mean, you look at what happened with the Affordable Care Act and the Medicaid expansion being basically the most popular part of that, that law. Um, the thing that's kind of gained the most traction, even in some states where you, you might think that, you know, that kind of politics would be, um, you know, the most, uh, the most unpopular. It's actually proven to, to still be popular enough to win majority support. And so I think it's good politics to get people onto public insurance in terms of, um, you know, priming the nation for the idea of, of, of Medicare for all. Um, and it's also just it's good practice. It's the simplest thing to do, and it's and it's something that you can do that isn't just a, a giveaway to insurance companies like, you know, the idea to you know pay people's COBRA premiums or something like that, which I think is kind of you know a ridiculous giveaway to insurance companies. And so. Um, uh Representative Permilli Fairhall's uh, Medicare Crisis Program Act is something that I think um, is a really good idea and, and very emblematic of the right direction, which is to you know move people onto um, uh, you know Medicare and Medicaid when they they lose their jobs or or they need um, COVID-related care. And so I'd like to see more solutions like that, where we're trying to find more ways to basically loosen the requirements for for Medicare and Medicaid, expand the requirements, expand the scope. I guess um to get as many people onto those things because um I mean, I mentioned I do have concerns about how easily folks can get on to Medicaid, um, but a lot of that's just a function of I think of of you know resourcing and staffing, and if we actually make a a commitment to say this is how we're going to solve this particular problem that that's um you know that's a barrier that of course we can overcome so so that's that's you know that's what I'm hoping that's what I'm hoping happens um to get us out of this crisis as well as to tea up Medicare for All down the road.
0: Well, that sounds good. So I'd like to shift gears a little bit and ask, as a business person, what have you seen as the lines of attack from business people on Medicare for All?
1: Yeah, yeah, there are certainly many. Um, and uh, part of the reason I'm glad that you know we're in business is that I can get out there and refute them. So, So that's great. You know, the one big thing that folks always bring up is, is choice, right? There's this, there's this kind of illusion that people enjoy making a choice about their healthcare and that if we move to a single payer system, you know, the, the great choices people currently enjoy at their jobs are going to be kind of vaporized and it's all going to be replaced with the national healthcare insurance system. And so, you know, I always like to point out that number one, my employees don't have a choice. We offer one plan for health, dental and vision and uh, the reason for that is in the past i offered multiple plans um but it was too difficult for, for number one it was difficult for me to administer it and number two it was very difficult for my employees to pick you know you can look at the different you know those government mandated sheets the 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 very the dark blue and light blue charts that i think we've all become familiar with and try to compare your plan looking at the the co-insurance and the, the premiums and the the, the deductible but it's very difficult to figure out what plan is going to work best for me, um, especially because the answer is usually, well, the way to figure that out is to think about what your healthcare needs are going to be this year. And of course, nobody can think about that. Nobody can project what the future holds for their health. And so in the past, when I offered Choice, my employees were basically coming to me and saying, Aaron, which one should I pick? And so I said, okay, in the future, I'm just going to pick the plan that I think everybody should pick. And I'll try to do as much education on that particular plan as possible. And so, um, you know, this 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 myth around losing choice i think is is uh is really goofy um a lot of a lot of folks don't have choice at work and and when they do it's a source of stress and confusion so that's number one and the other thing I always hear brought up is is taxes right i mean you can you can think back to um a few different presidential primaries where Medicare for all was a a big topic and 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 the thing that that constantly gets hammered on, especially from folks in the business community is Okay, everybody's taxes are going to go up. Everybody get ready. Get ready for more taxes. You're going to pay more. I don't think that's true. I mean, I have, so first of all, we pay an incredible amount for private insurance right now as a company and every year the cost of it goes up. So that's number one. And, and number two, um, for, for why I think that's, uh, uh, a pretty bad angle of attack is I have an experience of moving as a business owner from buying a certain type of insurance on the private market and having it replaced by something um, that's being offered as a public public good. So short-term disability insurance is something that I've bought for my employees. Um, The company's paid 100% of the cost of it um, basically since we started. It started a few months after we were in business. Um, This is for folks if they get injured or fall ill due to reasons outside of their job, which, of course, would be covered by WorkComp. So I used to provide that through AFLAC um, for a few years. Uh, but this, actually next month, DC's paid family medical leave program is going to come into force. And I know what benefits are offered by that program. I know what benefits were offered through our AFLAC uh, subscription. And I can tell folks that we're going to be paying a third of the cost that we were paying in the private market for short-term disability insurance, which is roughly equivalent to paid family medical leave. And the coverage that's being offered by the public good that was put in place by the D.C. Council um, is better. So my employees are are getting are going to get better coverage and um, we're going to be paying less. We're going to be paying less for this kind of public insurance. And so to me, public insurance is not scary. Um, you know, uh, less less cost and, and better coverage sounds pretty great to me. And so I see no reason why that can't be the case for uh, Medicare for all and, and, and doing away with private health insurance.
0: Well, it certainly can be the case for Medicare for all and will be the case. Most people, of course, will pay less taxes and get better coverage. And I'd like right. to add, I've never understood the choice argument against Medicare for all because under Medicare for all, you'll be able to choose whatever doctor or hospital you want. And that's, of course, more choice than any health plan because Almost all health plans I know about limit your choice of doctors and hospitals, of medical providers. Absolutely. So, it's just very weird to me. Yes. Before we end, is there anything that you would like to add?
1: There's just one quick thing, which is something that uh, I've tried to think more about. It's not It's not completely related to my experience as a, a business person, but I think it's worth mentioning, which is... Um, you know, I'm really hopeful that obviously that we can win Medicare for all, but, but that when we do win it, it's not just the kind of thing where, um, you know, actors in the kind of healthcare part of the economy switch from ripping off consumers at the consumer level to ripping off the whole federal government. <laughs> so I think a big part of this story, um, is, uh, the power of the big hospital monopolies, device manufacturers, pharmacy monopolies. And so I think that Medicare for all, I mean, it's great on its merits, number one. But one thing I wish people would understand more is that if we can have a single buyer in the marketplace, we can use it to really bring prices down. And so I think that relates to some of the cost arguments you see thrown around, which I think we both agree are bad faith anyway. Um, but a lot of that's based on current pricing. And a lot of that current pricing is configured by just being a very consolidated market with big monopolies that have a lot of power. And I think one way to break the power of those monopolies is uh, by having a single buyer that, that actually negotiates. I'm dreaming about the different ways that Medicare for All is going to be fantastic for everybody. But um, anyway, that's my that's my parting comment.
0: Well, let me just say, yes, it will have to be monitored. And the other thing that will happen once it's passed is that we'll have to keep explaining why it's a better deal, because there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be pushing back against it, even if it passes. So we'll have to keep explaining it as if we were still trying to get it, in a way, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really crucial insight. I think that's a really crucial insight. And it's unfortunate, too, that, you know, the way that the Affordable Care Act is set up with different things kind of phasing in over a long period of time. Um, It's almost like people didn't get to feel the benefits quickly enough before they started getting inundated with a lot of this bad faith propaganda that I think ultimately turned a lot of people against the program that of course was, um, at least in some ways, in in, in their best interest. So um, I do hope that we can learn from that mistake in the future.
0: So do I. Aaron, thank you so much for being on Medicare for All Explained.
1: It's my privilege. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You have been listening to Medicare for All Explained. Information about this podcast can be found at our website, medicareforallexplained.org. The music for this show is Super Bubbly by Jesse Spillane. The logo was created by Lily Sparks. Thank you for listening.